Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. The book of Jude, beginning in verse 1. We're going to be here for a few weeks. I want to read the first four verses today, and then we will talk some uh, about them. Let me say this even before I read, though. We are in what's called the general epistles. Sometimes they're called the Catholic epistles, but that has nothing to do with Catholicism. Catholic is a word that simply means universal. And there were some epistles that, when they were written, they were written to the church or the different gatherings of the church in different particular places. Paul wrote probably four letters to the believers in the city of Corinth. And I want to say it that way because I don't want you to think that, well, in the city of Corinth, there was a First Baptist Corinth. There was no such thing. There was no such building as a church. The church didn't have a building like we know buildings for 300 years. So when Paul writes to the Romans, he is writing to all the believers in this massive city of Rome. And so they might not get his letter all in one reading. They would pass it around. But it was addressed to a city Full of believers. When he wrote the letter to Galatia, that was a whole area. That wasn't a city, but that was a whole area of people uh, that were followers of Christ to whom he was writing. But then maybe you haven't noticed, but there's some letters that are named after the one who writes them. We have the book of James. He is not writing to necessarily a particular geographical location, but he is writing uh, to the church about a particular issue. And he might name some. Um, uh, He talks in the book of James, for example, to those that are dispersed out all over the world who are born-again Christians. But that'll be as specific as he gets. We call that the book of James. And because it's written more generally to the church, we call it a general epistle. Anybody in the church could have gotten it and read it. He's not addressing some issue that's going on down in Bithynia necessarily. He is addressing an issue that affects the whole church in general. The epistle of James, 1st and 2nd Peter, those are all general epistles. 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John, those are general epistles. And then, of course, we have the epistle of Jude. So they're named after the ones who wrote them. Um, Let's take a look at the first four verses of Jude. And then we want to talk about why he writes this. He introduces himself as Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, 
beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. You will notice as you read the book of Jude, you can look for them. You'll see them if, if you kind of know to look. He writes in what we call triads. If you looked at verse 1, he says, Those who are the called, beloved in God, and kept. Three things he says about us. Next verse, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. You will see him do that throughout this little letter. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. I can relate to that. I don't know how long he had to put this letter together, but I'll tell you this, I have been away somewhere preaching, and I would be sitting up in one of the, you know, how in a lot of the more traditional churches, they have these three huge chairs up here. They look like electric chairs that hadn't, don't have the straps still on them. And you're sitting there. I have been sitting in one of those with two sermons in my Bible and still not sure which one I needed to preach. And the choir was already singing. You've not lived till you've been there, friend. Oh, Lord, which one? Which one? He says, I wanted to write you. I had it all ready to go. Yeah, I, I had the outline on my laptop. You have to get into the Greek to get that. But I had it all ready to go. And, boy, something came across my heart. It hit me like a nightmare. It knocked the breath out of me. I realized I needed to write to you about something else. I wanted to write about our common salvation, but, but God had other plans. Wished he'd have told me sooner. Maybe I, I kind of think he would if we listened sooner. But Jude says, I had to write about something else. And then in verse 4, this is why. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long before marked out for this com condemnation. God knew about them. We didn't. Second Peter will warn us about them. That they're coming. Jude says, they're here. He says, they're here. He says, they were marked out by God years ago, though. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. It's not a word we use a lot. We'll look at it. And they deny our Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. I don't know of anybody who has better described or characterized the thinking of a lot of modern day church attendees. And I, I say that word because 
I don't think you can be a Christian and think like this, but it is one of the most popular ideas that you will ever find that runs around in our churches. And it kind of, yeah, did slip in sort of under the radar. Nobody really saw it coming. It sort of evolved somewhat over time. But there was a Christian philosopher named Christian Smith, of all names, And Christian Smith wrote about something that he called moralistic therapeutic deism. We've taught about it years ago here when we did some worldview studies. But I don't know of any better way to introduce the problem that Jude is having. The agony he is feeling as he abandons his, his first effort and says there's something going on in the church this early. I mean, he is writing probably in the mid-60s, and he is saying there's something going on in the church that, that, that you just have to know about. Christian Smith, he, many hundreds of years later, of course, he would talk about, we have something in our churches today called moralistic therapeutic deism. Let's look at those three words as we introduce these four verses. It's a thinking that's kind of overtaken so many of our churches. One, he says it's moralistic because he says basically we have reduced Christianity. I don't say we here, but we as a, the, the, the church uh, uh, worldwide. He says many churches have reduced Christianity to just being good. Being nice, being tolerant, there's, there's our word. Uh, I, I tried, I couldn't stay there long, I got to stand up. But he says what we have done, we've reduced it to being nice. It's not about being saved, it's not about I'm lost and undone and on my way to hell and I need my soul saved, I need to be redeemed, I need my sins forgiven, I need righteousness, I need the righteousness of God because mine on my best day is horrible. He says it's not about that, we've reduced Christianity to pretty much just being good. And when you do that, here's the good news. If you're one of those people that you just love being all-inclusive and, and, and you just hate it when you feel like, oh, I might have ostracized them by saying that, or I, I hope I didn't hurt their feelings by, by stating what I, what I did, or I hope Preacher Mike didn't run that new couple off today. Maybe if you're thinking that way, here's the good news for you. Any religion will do. Any religion will do. It's just about being nice. Be a nice Hindu. Be a good Muslim. Be a good Christian. But be nice to people. Be tolerant. Be open-minded. I see commercials on television nowadays where these various groups that basically, fundamentally, they're not supposed to believe anything the same. They have different beliefs, different, totally different ideas about God. But there are people that imagine that a big, nice, warm group hug can take place between all of those and, and, and we, we can just all come together because basically the whole point of even being a religious person, so to speak, or attending church, however, it's really about just being nice. And guess what? If all you're thinking about is the moralistic view, 
Everybody goes to heaven. Everybody. I, I, I can't even remember the last time I ever heard tell of somebody dying lost and going to hell. Everybody that dies. I, I, it's just like we dress up the body, you know, when they pass away. And I, and I will tell you this. I'm not sure how after-death hauntings work. I've never believed in them. But if I find out they do and you put me in a suit before you put me in the casket, I'll be back. You're going to hear footsteps and scratching on the doors and all kind of racket going on at your house. Don't dress me up on the outside, and don't dress me up on the inside either. Neither one will work. That old suit won't look so good before long. And I can tell you, you can try to dress up the inside of a person who has passed from this life, and that won't work, that'll work even less long. We try to make them look as good as possible. Well, he was a good guy. He, uh... Oh, you know, I, I know he didn't go to church. I know he didn't profess to know the Lord. But, you know, when my mama lived next to him, he always helped her pick her green beans every year. He'd go over and mow her grass when she got where she couldn't do it anymore. He's a good old boy. I tell you, man, right now, he, he's a fine fella. And then I'll hear somebody really go out on a limb and say, yeah, I'm going to tell you now, if he didn't make it to heaven, we all might as well give up now. Well, that's what you ought to do right now is go ahead and give up. Because if you think he did go to heaven because he mowed mama's grass, boy, you have a sorely mistaken understanding of what salvation is about. But that's a moralistic view. Secondly, it's therapeutic. Therapeutic. Its primary value, the primary value of religion or faith is to make us feel good. Therapeuo in the Greek is a word that means I heal. So it's therapeutic. It helps to heal us. If we feel bad about ourselves, it, it, it helps us feel good about ourselves. We forgive because it's cathartic. It, 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 it makes us feel cleansed. It makes us feel comfortable about ourselves. And we try to get along with other people because we can't stand the guilt of maybe we hurt someone's feelings. Even if we had a good reason to do so. And so when, when we do have guilt feelings, the whole object of it is to get rid of the guilt. Oh, I, I, I feel so guilty about this or that. I have before if I know the person well enough, and I don't always do this, I wouldn't, but I have uh, with people I know really well, when they come to me and they say, well, I'm, I'm really having trouble with, with guilt. My question sometimes is, well, what did you do? Because we should have guilt. Uh, this is verses, this whole idea of verses, uh, what David did when he sinned. He cried out in Psalm 51, he says, God, against you I've sinned. And you alone I have sinned. There's a vertical dimension of sin. I sinned against God, and I need His forgiveness. I don't just need people to come around me and make me feel better about what I did. Oh, you know others have done worse. Is that where you have the bar set? As long as you can find somebody that did something worse, that as far as you want to go? You think that's acceptable? You see, there is a vertical dimension to this. We've sinned against God, and we need God to forgive us. Of our sinfulness. 
I, I, I'll tell you this, and this is the cool part about uh, preaching on a passage like Jude. If we don't get done with these four verses today, we'll just pick up where we left off next week. But I want to tell you about this. Michael Horton interviewed, he was a journalist, he interviewed Robert Schuller years ago. I don't know if you remember Robert Schuller. He was a famous uh, televangelist, preacher, author, and a lot of people loved Robert Schuller because he was always, he was like the forerunner of Joel Osteen, okay? He didn't quite have Joel Osteen's uh, money. He didn't quite nail the smile down, even though he almost did. But this is the kind of stuff that Robert Schuller taught. And if you don't think it was popular in California, he built that crystal cathedral. Uh, it was the largest glass structure in the United States of America. What could be wrong with a church like that? It's got to be a good place to go hear the Word of God, right? It costs $18 million. I don't know what it would cost nowadays. But let me tell you what Robert Schuller preached. Oh, and by the way, if you ever went there, if you went there for like a Christmas play or something, you know how we have, an, we have angels, we put youngins in bed sheets and tie them up, and uh, they come out and stand there, and you know, you got one kid, all he was was a tree. You know? Boy, if you made tree, you really were some kind of actor. You'd have stood there. Robert Schuller would they would bring in angels on cables. They would fly them in, buddy. Boy, you can't beat that. Uh, they had all kinds of cool stuff. But that's not my problem with him. My problem with him when he was still preaching is, here's one of his quotes. Uh, he told Michael Horton, he said, Sin is anything that causes me or someone else to lose his or her self-esteem. He said, that's what sin is. He said, Calvin and Luther were right in their God-centered approach to theology. But he said, the time has come, I'm afraid, for the scales to tip the other way. Theology must become more man-centered. I will at least give him points for just saying it out loud. He said this about hell. It's not some place where you go because you rejected Christ. No. He said hell is simply the loss of pride and of being separated from God, the sole source of our unfailing self-respect. When you lose touch with God and you lose your self-respect, he said, that is what I would consider hell. He said a person is in hell when he's lost his self-esteem. And then Michael Horton asked him, he said, well, what about in 2 Timothy? Where Paul writes it, well, men will be lovers of themselves. And Paul doesn't treat that like it's a good thing. Mr. Schuler, you're acting like if we just can find a way to love ourselves and accept ourselves and, and not be all down on ourselves. You, you act like we've hit pay dirt with that. But Paul doesn't say that in 2 Timothy. And Dr. Schuler told Michael Horton, he said, young man, I hope you don't preach that stuff. You will hurt a lot of people 
Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that you need to preach it. Wow. If you want to fill up a glass building, that's how you do it. You'll have to do a little twisting because it will sound like you are just taking Scripture and just turning it on its head. Because what you're doing is taking Scripture and turning it on its head. But if you're good enough, you can make it sound like, oh, this is a deeper meaning. Guys like Mike Snellgrove, he, he, he tries, he, he means well, just like Calvin and Luther in their day, they were spot on. But times have changed, and it's time we looked at things in a different way. You should come to church and leave feeling better about yourself. That's not true. That's not true. Do you think David felt better about himself when Nahum the prophet finished his little sermon? I don't think he did. But he was started on a road to healing and forgiveness. It was the only way. He had to realize he had sinned against God. And he had to realize that his problem was that, that he was having nightmares about having Uriah killed and sleeping with his wife. He had to realize that I have problems because I have sinned and I have sinned against God. And against God only have I sinned. And I need his forgiveness. Moralistic therapeutic deism. What is deism? Well, we know deism basically means that God just kind of started the world, put it in order, set it off like you wind up a clock, and, and took his hands off of it. The deistic part of Christian Smith's frame here is the fact that he says many people don't believe that you really have to have a personal relationship with God. You, God can kind of be to you whatever you want him to be. As a matter of fact, one liberal pastor said the way to kill the soul is to worship a God that is outside yourself. You kill your soul when you do that. If you want to find God, look inwardly. Look inside yourself. Look at what makes you tick. What are your passions? What are your desires? What are the things in life that you really want to do? Don't let some preacher stand in a pulpit and kill all those dreams for you. Uh, as far as trying to worry about what God thinks, let, let God kind of come and join you in, in life and walk with you in life as you realize your dreams and your wishes and your desires and you fulfill your own self. We have some of that in our churches today. Matter of fact, we have a lot more of it than we might realize. Jude says, it's time we began to contend for the faith. He says, I'm telling you. He says, some have slipped in unaware. Some have slipped in. The word he uses for slipped in means they came in a side door and it was like they got to a pool of water is what the Greek word pitchers. And they just slipped down in it. And then when you looked over, you heard a noise, but they're gone. But they're in there with you now. They're in there with you now. It's sort of like when an old alligator slides off in the water. You hear the ripples, and, but you don't see him. You just know it's time to uh, get out of the water. Somebody's in there that you don't want. Let's take a look at these first four verses. Jude says, Church, 
He said, first of all, let me introduce myself. Let's look at that in verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, to those who are the call, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. The word Jude is short for the word Judas. The word Judas, excuse me, is the Greek word for the word Judah, which means to praise. So here is Jude. Now, that, there were several people named Jude, but he tells us that he is the brother of James. And if we go back into the Gospels, this is what is so intriguing about it, that would make him the half-brother of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't even say anything about that. As a matter of fact, if you go to the book of James, if we're right about him being the other half-brother of Jesus Christ, he doesn't tell us any of that either. It is amazing how that these men already realize that even though, yep, I was raised in the same household with him, and I knew him at a level like a lot of people may not. I now know him as my Lord and Savior. He's not just my half-brother. I don't just throw that around because that's not what's important. And his brothers didn't even believe in him when he was walking the earth. I know of people that they claim they've read the whole Gospels, all of them, several times. And they just can't make themselves believe that Jesus is really divine, or He's really the Son of God, or that He really rose from the dead. Well, you're in good company, because Jesus lived in a house with brothers and sisters who they saw Him every day, and they did not even believe it. But when He was resurrected, that's when His brother. Put their faith and trust in Him. It's amazing. Oh, you want to know who I am? I, I didn't mention that I was His half-brother. I'll tell you who I am. He says, I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. A bond servant. Now, servant is a powerful word, but the Greek had two words for it. Uh, one was doulos. That's the word that he is going to use here. He could have used diakonos, which is another word that means servant. We get our word deacon from it. But the word doulos is a, it, 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 it is a word that means you are more like a slave than just a servant. You don't work there just because you uh, uh, maybe uh, like working there. Sometimes you do things you don't want to do. You, you're not just there part-time. No, a doulos would be there all the time. A doulos would be someone who says, I'm here because I'm owned and operated by my master. I live for him. Every day of my life, I live to serve him. And especially if we add the word bondservant to this as well. In that day, if you were a slave and someone came along and paid the price to set you free and, and you no longer had to serve your old master, many times what would happen is that person would serve their new master not because they had to. They had been set free. They could go their way. But they would serve their new master out of love. And dedication because he's the one who set me free. Maybe sometimes when 
your family is wondering, well, why are you always late for the family reunions? We're going to quit letting you bring the tater salad if you can't be here on time. You might have to help them understand. I don't just serve him because I don't have anything else to do on Sunday. I don't go when I can make it, when there's nothing else to do. No, I'm his slave. I live for him. I live for him. And the reason I do is because I was somebody else's slave. Boy, I bet people in here this morning, you could stand up and tell us who your old slave master was. I, I, I always hate it when I hear people talk about, boy, I tell you, church is full of rules and that religion and Christianity, oh, you got to this and you got to that. And, oh, man. And, and we all know that's a total misunderstanding of Christianity, but I'd say it's a pretty good understanding of cocaine. If it's been your master, I got news for you, friend. It'll get you up in the morning early and keep you up late. It'll take every dime. It, it doesn't even ask for a tithe. It wants everything. And it won't stop until it owns everything. Maybe meth was your master before. Maybe adultery, pornography, whatever it was. I can tell you, if you've been set free from that old master, you know about rules, right? You know about something owning your life. You know about something jerking you around. You know about something beating you into the dirt. You know about something riding your back night and day, telling you how worthless and what a waste of skin and time you are. You already know about that. No, you don't serve God uh, just because uh, it's some religious thing. No, you serve Him because He sets you free. Yeah. You serve him because he's the best master you've ever had. Oh, he says, I am a bond servant. Man. He also talks about his audience. He says, I am writing. He introduces himself. He introduces his audience. He said, I am writing to those who are called. The ones that belong to God. This is not some evangelistic effort. No, he said, I'm writing to the church. This is not about those who are out in the world. It's not a, a sermon about how the world needs to wake up and, and how the world needs to get right with God. No, he says, uh, this is a sermon that is written to the church. He says, what we believe matters. And, 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 and the Word of God matters. And no, it's not a free-for-all. You just make it up as you go. You believe whatever you want to. All of that will be okay. No, it's not about that at all, he says. He says, what we believe matters and what we allow people who come in here and hear our preaching and our teaching, what we allow them to believe, he said, it matters as well. He says, so I am writing to those, he says, who are called by God, who are loved by God. And I love the third one, who are kept by God. Kept by God. You know, I, I think it's sad when I look at our nation and realize that our forefathers gave us, boy, such an incredible paradigm 
on how to be a democracy. How that you could start with nothing. How that you had choices you would never have anywhere else in the world. They call it a democratic republic. And I believe it was Benjamin Franklin. I don't remember. But someone asked outside the halls of that room in Philadelphia, how is it going and what is it we're going to have? And I believe it was Benjamin Franklin who says, well, right now we have a democratic republic. He said, the only question is, can you keep it? I'm afraid we're losing it. Too much freedom. If you give people freedom and you don't have something to plumb that freedom. Now our forefathers, I know they didn't all teach Sunday school, but they said unless we use the Ten Commandments and the Bible, and they said it often, unless we use that as the guide, the gauge for what is right and what is wrong, if you just give people freedom, just wide open freedom to do whatever it is they want to do, they will destroy this country. And as a matter of fact, when you think about it, it's amazing that we have lasted as long as we have. If I'm not mistaken, we're the oldest democracy that's ever existed in the world. We've already outlived our Time Because when you give people the freedom and the opportunity to go out and, and, and say whatever it is they want to say and, and within certain bounds do whatever it is they want to do, they will continue to push those bounds. They have no bridle. They do whatever it is they want to do. That's why for me I'm glad I belong to Jesus Christ. Because the reason I say all that is I would be just like all of them had I not met Jesus. Notice that third word. He says we are kept for Jesus Christ. I'm glad he keeps me. I'm glad I don't have to get up every morning and make sure I, I don't do anything to lose my salvation. How would you like that? Wife going out the door to get groceries. Honey, don't lose your salvation while you're out. That might not be bad to say nowadays with all the challenges that go on out in our world. But I'm just telling you, I'm so glad that's not up to me. I am so happy. I'm so thankful. I'm so blessed with peace to know that I am not holding on to God with all I got, but that He is holding on to me. Because I'm just as human as the heathen. I'd be pushing the bounds as well. Secondly, His intention. His introduction, his intention, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. That was his intention. He was going to talk about this common salvation we have. How wonderful it is. How that no matter who you are, we have one common salvation. And, and, and I want to just tell you a, one simple word, and we'll move on, about this letter that almost was but was not. Our salvation is a common salvation. It's important that we remember that. They're not individualized versions of it. They're, they're, they're not certain ideas about it that, that, well, you know, you have your version, I have mine, you think your way, I think my way. Um, Robert Bella wrote about an interview, and I'm not sure who he is, but I was reading some of his stuff one day, and I came across this. He wrote about an interview that he had with a young nurse who was named 
Sheila Larson. He said that she describes, or he just used her to describe what many Americans experience and what their views on religion are. So she was speaking about her own faith and how it operated in her life. And she said, I believe in God. I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me, though, a long way. And then she finally named it, if you were wondering what she believes, she said, she says, I guess it is called Sheilaism. Just my own little voice. You see, we, we don't have that prerogative to say, well, I know the Bible presents uh, one way that we can be saved and have a relationship with God, but you know me and God, we kind of got it worked out. I've asked people before, are you a born-again Christian? Do you know the Lord? Well, in my own way, I, I do. What in the world does that mean? There's no such thing supported in Scripture. You can't just know God in your own way. As a matter of fact, did we, we could have uh, spent some time there as well. He is the one that called us, Jude says in verse 1. He called us. You didn't call on God and say, hey, why don't we get together sometime? I saw you on this theological date site, and we have a lot in common. Maybe we could go out. Maybe we could have some sort of relationship. I don't want to get too serious. Did you notice Sheila was quick to say, I'm not a religious fanatic. That's the worst kind of fanatic to be, is it not? I told a friend of mine the other week who cares nothing about it, I said, uh, this was some time back, but we were going to... Uh, the race in Charlotte. Now I'm redneck. I know that. But I, I like, I like racing. I like to go watch them. I'd like to say I'm not a fanatic, and I, I'm not really. But my preacher friend could he could never imagine ever going to anything like that. He's way more sophisticated than me. <laughs> But I was telling him about it. I said, now you watch for me today. He said, well, you know, I'm not even going to watch a race. I said, well, you ought to. I said, look for me. I said, I'll be hanging on the fence with my shirt off, waving it around and around when Chase Elliott goes by. There are people that not, are not nearly as ashamed of doing that as they would be of being called a religious fanatic. You know, I'm kind of a religious fanatic in a way. I'm pretty fanatical about Jesus. Because for him to leave heaven's glory and come down here and live in this hell hole and to let them rip his beard out and slap him in the face and put nails through his hands and to hate him for no reason and to tell lies about him like have never been told about any of us for him to be treated way worse than any of us could ever imagine. That thing you quit that last church over was nothing, my friend. Have you looked at what they did to our Lord and Savior? For them to beat him to a literal pulp. For him to do all of that because he loves me? 
I think he's a fanatic. And I want to be one too. I want to love him. I can't, but I want to try to love him like he loves me. Pretty crazy. He loves me a lot. Hallelujah. Then his interruption. We might close here. Verse 3 said, I felt it necessary to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once handed down to all the saints. I, I got interrupted. I had something I was going to say, but God gave me something else to say. He kind of reminds me of Ezekiel when God told him, Ezekiel, I'm going to put you on the wall. You're going to be a watchman. And he said, when the enemy comes, if you warn the people and they heed your warning and, and, and they listen to you and, 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 and they're, they get ready for the coming of the enemy and they, they're willing to obey what you tell them, he says, then I will deliver them. But if you're on the wall and you see the enemy and you do not warn them, then their blood is going to be on on your hands. You see, pastors are watchmen. Preachers are supposed to preach the truth, and sometimes it might be an interruption into what we were going to say or wanted to say or maybe would feel more comfortable saying. Uh, there, there are lots of things that sometimes are controversial, but we have to say them anyway. He says we are going to have to contend for the faith. I'm Glad Brother Rich is here today, Rich Cox, because the word here in the Greek for contend is the word we get our word wrestling mat from. It was the place where the wrestlers went at it, and that's been going on for a long time. And uh, it was one of the Greco-Roman sports. But I can tell you, I, I played some sports in high school. The hardest thing I ever did was wrestling. Man, I'll tell you, it's just six minutes unless they've changed it. I, I, I don't know. But, uh, it, it, and, I, and I'm not talking about real wrestling now. I'm not talking about Ric Flair. Oh, no. That's that good stuff there. No, I'm talking about the kind where you're on a mat for six minutes. There's no timeouts. There's no rest. There's no water breaks. There's no halftime. There's no nothing. It's just six minutes of you going at it. And if you feel your opponent's leg get weak on one side, you go for it. If you feel like he's tiring out, if he's breathing heavy, boy, it just lights your fire. And, and I, I can tell you, I got into everything I did. And when I got into wrestling, boy, I loved it. Man, I'm telling you, if he had give me that hind leg, just one of them, I'd throw my leg around it and throw an old hook, and I'd bring that old head up under him, and I'd ball that boy up in a heartbeat. Because I could feel his weakness. There was no letting up. And I also knew that if I gave in the least little bit, if I wasn't ready for it when I got on that mat, then I knew I had a whipping coming. That's what Jude is talking about. He said we've got to be ready to agonize for the faith. He said it might be violent. It's, it, it's going to be relentless. But you and I need to stand up for the fundamentals of the faith. They're things that we believe, and it is time that we stood up for them. You know, I never believed in a million years when I first went into the ministry. 
And I went off to Bible college. I went to where Miss Rachel goes uh, in, at Fruitland up in Hendersonville. First school that I ever went to. Had you told me back then that the day would come among many who are Southern Baptists that, that we would have questions about the uniqueness of Christ. Now what I mean by that is that Jesus is the only way to be saved. If you had told me back then, of course if you'd have told me back then, I probably just would have exploded because I was just like a fireball. I was looking for a fight. But if you had told me back then, I wouldn't have believed you. I'd have said not among Baptists. There might be some of them out there, but there's no Baptist in this whole wide world going to ever stand in a pulpit and ever entertain the thought that, well, you can trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, but there might be if you're from another country and you've never heard of Jesus, you might have something in your life that's your Jesus. And instead of us sending missionaries to tell you how wrong you are, we wouldn't want to do that. We're going to send missionaries to help you to discover the richness of your own personalized spiritual experience. You say, Mike, you've never heard that. Oh, yes, I did. I heard it in a missions class in the graduate school at Gardner-Webb University. We're going to help them discover the richness of their faith. I ask, you know me, well, aren't we going to tell them about Jesus? Are we going there to just help them better understand their own religious thinking? Or are we going there to tell them about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Students, teacher included. Never said a word. Do, do you understand how that happens? They sneak in. Nobody's ever going to walk in that door one day and go, I'm here to tear this church all to pieces. For you that maybe you feel ostracized by some of the preaching here, maybe it wasn't how you were raised. Maybe you came to Cornerstone and you realize, wow, that pastor has no appreciation at all for my Episcopal upbringing. You'd be pretty well right. What if somebody came along one day to help you feel better about that? What if a little Bible study started maybe over in their home on Tuesdays or whatever? And they began to discuss, say, oh, I love this one. A, pretend I have fingers, a deeper, a deeper look at salvation. Oh, I love those deeper looks. If you're already drowning, deeper's not your friend. They slip in. Jude says we have to be ready. Contend for the faith. Oh, he's going to say a lot more things. This little book is jam-packed. We'll be in it a while. Cornerstone, let me just say it again as I close. I know we've been through a war lately. 
It's been tough. It's been so tough. I'm so blessed today. I, I, man, I, I just, Josh and Brandy, thank you. It's so sweet to hear them sing those songs. I know their family has walked through a horrible time. A horrible time. And I'm not even trying to compare the two because God is bringing healing to my body and I thank Him for that. But boy, for me to find out that I had a cancerous tumor right in the middle of all of this, two of your pastors just, I mean, absolutely elbowed in the teeth and this was after this year with this COVID thing and all of that. I can tell you, it is time, church, for us, first of all, to thank God we've got a church where we do stand up for the Word of God. Yes. And we need to pray harder than we ever have in our life. Oh, the old enemy. He'd love to get in here and tear it all to pieces. He'd love to. But by God's help and grace, we don't have to let him. We're kept by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's going to stand up for us. He's our new master. And we're going to serve him till we die. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.